Welcome to Crushing Comics. We are here to continue our epic X-Men reread. We have started reading Chris Claremont's X-Men from the very start, and today Freya Tyler and I are up to Uncanny X-Men 104 and 105, as well as their corresponding classic X-Men reprints and backups in classic X-Men 12 and 13. So here is your ample spoiler warning. We're not just going to cover everything that happened in these issues. We're probably going to talk about other things throughout Chris Claremont's run, some things beyond it, and because of one of the characters appearing in these issues, we are going to talk about Jonathan Hickman's House of X and Powers of X, otherwise known as Hoxpox, from 2019. So do know that you will get spoiled on Hoxpox if you listen to this entire episode. If we want to say something about anything past that, we will try to give you an ample audio warning that spoilers are upcoming. So that said, let us dive in to Uncanny X-Men 104, which uh, continues the X-Men's, it was meant to be a vacation, but there doesn't seem to be much vacationing <laughs> happening. And it also seems as we begin here, it is hard for mutants to rent a boat in Ireland, uh, or I don't know if they're in, in Scotland at this point, but but the, the bottom line is, are they being discriminated against as mutants because Nightcrawler's there, or have they just come upon a very ornery dock worker here as we begin our issue they, they, they are in scotland right now right so so i think um that's where the story of storm the backup story of storm in london happened in between those two these two issues she just took a little story. jaunt to london while the yeah, team was on it's just while, while they're traveling i assume like maybe driving or taking the train up from ireland to it's, scotland it's 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 going in a very strange direction then because i have <laughs> been to london uh-huh. <laughs> then, then like that, that way and then that way yeah it's like a it's like a triangular ride that they're taking but you know what it's okay it's okay we'll, yeah. we'll give them that <laughs> and and there's two gags here at the beginning of the issue one gag that claremont does deliberately and one that he can't know really that he's doing deliberately because he doesn't know what the future entirely holds in store yeah. the deliberate one is that like every time this team gets on a vehicle the vehicle gets blown up it's just the way things have been going <laughs> and it's like part of it is it's just like a funny nod to the people who are reading every issue because at the time mm-hmm. there's no guarantee that they were but it also for me really hints at the repetitive nature of this early claremont and just comment comics in the Bronze Age in general, it really does start to feel like we're reading the same thing every issue, just with a slightly different window dressing on it. But the other comedic beat he plays out, and then I want to hear what you think of either or both of them, is there's probably no time after this that you can play an X-Men team not being prepared for Magneto. Because Magneto really was thought to be done with, as we're going to get into in the story. He was a baby. There was no more Magneto to train for. And so we get this wonderful moment of like Colossus and Wolverine thinking they have any chance here because they really have not trained in the danger room to face Wolverine, which is not a beat that you can get away with. To face face Magneto. Yeah, oh, to face Magneto, right. Uh, It's not a beat you can get away with in any subsequent X-Men comic, really. Even when Magneto is presumed dead, he's never really Uh, gone. Yep. Yeah, so what did you think about these two moments? No, I have a lot to say about what Magneto was... um doing in this like or how he was left here in Muir Island I have a lot to say about that but uh in terms of like um I was no I was laughing a lot when the like oh my god it's as if our vehicle just came apart like it's like yeah you think (laughs) what could possibly do that yeah (laughs) you think like you know I honestly thought I actually looked up that if this is first appearance of Magneto I 
genuinely looked up because I thought that this was, you know. <laughs> it was but a then Q1. I was like, yeah, I know, I know, I know. Later, later I was now like, you because know. I was like, yeah, I was like, maybe I misunderstood, like you know, because I knew that that it was the first yeah. Q1. But then I'm like, oh, maybe I, I misunderstood. And then I'm like, oh no. And then I'm like, oh, these people are dumb. <laughs> like, you know, but he was truly. Yeah, yeah. You know, there was no, truly I, new X Men, and then and yeah. I would also say though, like you know, the whole uh, having issue, having problem with like hovercraft, it was discrimination. Like you know, it was just just because they were wearing tights and colorful clothes, they didn't you know, and then also <laughs> Nightcrawler, um, like you know, it just like and then also Nightcrawler's tail. I don't know why everyone keeps commenting about that. It's like oh. Um, I am not going to do the accent because I'm not insane. But it's like, but Mr. Stewart, sir, it's not, it's got a pointy ears and teeth and a tail. Like, you know, everyone notices that tail. So because of the tail, yeah. we got discriminated and we couldn't rent a boat. <laughs> <laughs> Hated and feared well, everywhere they go. I know. I mean, is it is. Well, maybe you know the 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 owner of the boat is conscious of like his insurance, <laughs> because he's like, oh, I, I'm going to rent it to like these people, and and it's going to get you know destroyed or damaged because they are like superheroes or super villains. <laughs> maybe he's just ahead Please. of the time. He's like, oh, oh. I'm aware of that. <laughs> that Listen, is going to happen. It- if it was a New Yorker doing that, I would completely understand that. But he's not a New Yorker. He's a Scottish dude. You know, he's I not know. a superhero. Like, you know, New Yorkers are the only ones who yeah, are Yeah, New York. That is, that's, look- that's all part of the insurance policy that you would have as yeah. a standard rider in New York at this point. In the no, exactly. I know. Like, you know, so, I, I mean... I, I, I mean, we are all joking here because obviously he's written as like the <gasps> money grabbing guy, and he's like, you know, I'm just going to keep the money because you guys lied to me, even though you can't take the boat and that kind of thing. So, yeah, but I mean, I I love the description of Magneto's power here. It's like, oh, a boat of eldritch fire came from Mill Island. I was like, wait, what? Yeah, it's not like, really Eldritch at all. Claire, I know, those, I was like... Just what? one of those words that Claremont likes. Eventually, he'll make yeah. up some characters that he can describe their powers as Eldritch, and then he can be happy. But right now, so he's what? just flexing his vocabulary. So I, so, and to that, I actually wrote that, like, you know, I mean, not wrote that, took a mental note. It's like, I'm going to ask, what does it mean? What is it supposed to mean? So Eldritch just means otherworldly, but because it's so associated with the works of H.P. Lovecraft, because Lovecraft uses it to describe a lot of his kind of outer gods and things, it tends to have a specifically kind of spooky or magical or supernatural Mm -hmm. thing to it. So even though it's actually a fine word to use to describe any kind of bolt of, of indescribable power, it it just has much more of like a, a spooky limbo um, quality to it that Magneto doesn't really have. He later will live on an island that is quite eldritch, and then Claremont gets yes. to use the word to his heart's content. <laughs> which um, which I think you may remember from Hickman Report, us, re- us referring to as his um, Lovecraftian island or his Cthulhu island. That yeah. Probably Zach, our, our brother still stuck in the Resurrection bro- Protocols, would have said that. <laughs> So um, I do want to say that this issue was particularly my favorite so far. You know, really? Wow. Yeah, and it's not not necessarily because of like you know what's going on because it's a very standard happening, but it also has two of my favorite mutants in it: Magneto and Multiple mm. Man. 
So, you know, I am, I am like, you know, if mutants were real, I would be following Magneto to his death. Like, yeah, you know, we've, we've established you are definitely yep. in the brotherhood yeah. of evil mutants, for sure. Yeah, I'm, wait, I'm wait, wait. going to be. I'm going to present a conundrum for you. Uh-huh. What if Magneto is on one side and Steve Rogers with a beard is on the other side? <laughs> Well, hold on. In this situation, if I'm a if I'm a mutant, I'm following Magneto. You know, because okay. Magneto will have my have my best interest at heart. Oh. Yeah, and, Captain America and, doesn't care about mutants. Wolverine's gonna read him to yeah. filth when we get to Secret Wars. <laughs> yes. I mean, he doesn't. If he did, the mutant violence we see would not exist. So yeah, mm. let's all settle that. Uh, so yeah, so I would be I would be Brotherhood mutant. I would be like you know following Magneto. And also, Multiple Man is uh, one of my favorite, even though he is um, has some uh, complicated relationship with some ladies that. I do not care for, but mm. uh, we're not going to uh, spoil that here. But he is uh, my favorite, one of my favorite characters. And I'm like, oh, there he is. So I kind of, whenever I, I was read very his, excited over that. Whenever I read his very sparse early appearances, because he's used to almost just like a total random up until pretty much Peter David picks him up uh, mm -hmm. in 1991. I always want to just go back and do the Claremont remaster where I just write more jokes like, I'm just like, he's not <laughs> funny him. enough. I need him to be funnier, you know? <laughs> and, yeah. and he doesn't do anything in this one. All yeah. he's like, oh, like, oh my God. Like, you know, he just kind of um, do like, uh, what you call it? Um, uh, oh my God. He's a damsel in distress. Yeah, he's kind of just the damsel. He, and but he's also, a damsel he's a in distress. Yeah, but he's also like, you know, doing uh, exposition dump. Like, you know, yes. what happened? <laughs> like, that's... That's his role over here. I'm like, okay, that's not the Jamie I know and love. But at the same time, I mean, here he is, like the jailer of uh, infant um, villains. I mean, okay, can we talk about that part though? It's like yeah, we got how... we gotta dig into we this. we have to. But before okay. before we do that, right? Before we get there, this is the very first time after I I mean I I probably read this issue at least four times. So and this will be like the fifth time. I think. And this is the very first time I noticed one thing as the X-Men were like getting onto the beach from from the uh you know from getting blown up in, in, in the middle of like the, the, the water. And that is Storm was driving was was drying her knee-high boots on the beach while everyone is like noticing the the Muir Island thing. I was like, wait, what? When did that happen? When did that ever happen? But it did. <laughs> Oh, oh my god, that's so really right. funny. <laughs> you would think that Colossus would be afraid he would rust if he didn't empty out his yeah. boots. Yeah. <laughs> that was like, that's the first time I noticed this. <laughs> so they arrive on the so... beach of Muir Island, and there's so much to unpack here. And here's where we're going to start to dig into some House of X, Powers of X. So mm. Mura has been introduced to us as the very unusual housekeeper slash scientist slash former lover of Professor Xavier in the past eight issues. But here we find that she has her own mutant research center, which, quote, mm -hmm. cages the most dangerous mutants in existence, which is even at the time, I know that it's Claremont just like setting up Proteus to happen yeah. 20 issues from now. But like, let's just think about this for, for a second, even without the Hawksbox knowledge. Why does is Maura McTaggart, of all people, the one who's caging the most dangerous mutants in existence, 
Who else does that consist of at this point? Why does she think it's okay to leave Madrox alone by himself to look after <laughs> all of them? That's my question. I have, I have so many questions. And then finally, adding the Hoxpock knowledge on top of this, why does she want them all in the same place? And wh- how long was she planning to keep Magneto a baby for exactly? So here's, <laughs> this, is, this is the table of discussion now. Let's get deeply Hoxpox up in this issue and talk about all of these more McTaggart revelations we get. As, I mean, as Cyclops I, says, I've seen secrecy before, lady, but this. <laughs> yes, this. I mean, you know, this is ben, where. Ben, she also wondered the same thing, right? She's like, oh, Myro, Ma- Mo- Moira gave up all of this to become a housekeeper for safety <laughs> for us. Yeah. <laughs> that that made me laugh but the thing is like um the thing is though it's like uh cyclops were saying this like oh but this but isn't he and professor x the one who made magneto a baby like so where is he like why is he in his high horse about this who turned magneto into a baby it happened in the defenders actually yeah and so cyclops had nothing to do with this i'm not sure who did it uh, who Xavier him? consults basically. He's a con- a consulting yeah. factor in this Defenders issue, but it's not an an X Men story. So it's, it's not like okay. the X Men turned him into a baby. It's Xavier consulted on him turning into a baby, and then the X Men are like, "Well, guess we don't have to worry about that anymore." And that had happened not that long before this, um, in terms of current continuity. Let's come back to, they think it's fine that he's a baby. They give the baby to Moira McTaggart, who keeps him in a baby cage at Moira Island. Like, let's just just stay focused on this other thing. No, I agree. You know, baby cage. And then the thing is, like, you know, I don't know whether he's growing, how he's getting his food or his emotional, you know, adjustment. And, you know, and Jamie is the one who's taking care of the baby. And Mm. is there other babies in the, on this island? And how is that okay? And then is he growing up? So, WTF? And what is the end game? Like, Mora knows. Yeah! She has spent one whole (laughs) life with Magneto. And she knows, is this Mora's way of tacitly taking him off the table? Is this her saying, like, I would rather Magneto not be involved in everything? Or is this her way of having a little pocket Magneto where she's like, well, I'm just going to keep him <laughs> in my pocket until I can use him later on in my in my pursuit of, of mutancy. But if you tie this back into X-Men 1 to 3, yes. that's the reason why Moira kept baby Magneto here. Well, and I think that this just goes to show that like retcons can be do- done very well. X Men mm. one to three have uh, in nineteen ninety one has a wonderful reckoning uh, from Magneto to Mora about this whole thing. But then there's the yeah. extra layer on top of that about House of X and Powers of X. So, um, so I guess that's kind of we've set our piece here. Yeah. Mora for some reason is collecting a bunch of dangerous mutants. Yeah. Eric the including, Red, including Eunice the Untouchable. <laughs> Who I love. Uh, yes. And Eric the Red zeroes in on it. D-Babies Magneto with his awesome Shi'ar powers. D-Babies! <laughs> and, uh, and sets Magneto against the X-Men. Now, I will I will say here that um, there's also a nod that Magneto comes back maybe a little bit younger or a little bit in better mm-hmm. shape than he was before. There's a lot of at the height of my powers kind of talk. Yeah. And there's also this first hint of 
Claremont kind of assembling a number of villains around the X-Men, right? They've never really had mm-hmm. a rogues gallery that particularly communicates no. with each other. But we just had Black Tom and Juggernaut. We see that Eric Durrett is steering Magneto here. It's kind of just like, oh, and then that's going to attach to the Shi'ar. He's really like very quickly assembling quite a rogues gallery in a really short amount of time. No, I agree. And, I mean, it's and, and, and it's all, sort of like all not random encounters. So he is trying to tie in every um, villain that you know that 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 attacks the X Men to a particular um, uh, figure here, right? Which is Eric the Red. And also, like I felt like uh, Magneto's power was very well used or explained. You know, uh, like in, in terms of like how he can be dangerous to the X-Men team who has no idea mm-hmm. about him. Yes, he narrates um, it extremely well. Yeah, it's like narrated very well. And I'm like, oh, Bronze Age. Like, you know, it's like half, half the thing I'm actually looking and I'm also reading and I'm also perceiving. Like, you know, just like everything yeah. like happening. Uh, but the thing is, I actually was noticing because how you guys talked about before that Claremont doesn't like using Wolverine and Wolverine is always taken off screen. So I mm-hmm. kind of kept on noticing that in every issue this time, this reading yeah. time. I mean, and it then really happens. Every issue. Yep. Every single issue. Every single issue. Now I'm noticing it. And in this one, it was like the one of the most funniest way that Wolverine is taken out. Where it's like, Magneto just swipes his hand and Wolverine goes, my claws! And then taken off screen, never to be seen again. I That was like so funny to me because it's like, how much, I mean, you know, as an engineer, you have to think, okay, metal doesn't necessarily, magnetism doesn't necessarily work on every metal. So how metal. much vibranium or whatever he, he doesn't have adamantium. 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 adamantium, how much metals in adamantium that he can con- control it. But the thing is like, yeah. if he does this swipe, it's not going to be that nice and like, oh, just the claws going this way. <laughs> he's just flying out this way. It will probably be blood involved and he'll, he's, Skeleton is probably going to be detached from his skin. Um, so, we'll and then there. that. <laughs> no, but, yeah, at but, some point. Yeah, I yeah. hope so. I hope but, so. I mean, the, oh, yeah. the, You'll the, like the, the problem is that at this point in time, I don't think Claremont has uh, adamantium skeleton on Wolverine, you know, at this point in time. Yeah, so I at don't this think point he's quite time, worked at all. He's just, he's just adamantium claws. So, yes. which is why when Magneto control him, he's like, oh, my claws. I can't control my claws. And he's flying And then just off. flies off the... Um, <laughs> yeah. And then after seeing that, Colossus still think it's okay to come at this Magneto, yeah. who just demonstrated he can take still out or he can control still. Like, I roll you know, my I'm eyes like, at Colossus every time. I, I was like, like every time. no one was paying any attention in Danger Room. <laughs> Poor Cyclops did not do your, do his job. Like, that's what I'm no, saying. No, no, like, but people they are explicitly like, say, they explicitly explain that because Magneto is a baby, so they have never trained to fight against Magneto. No, I know that, yeah, but, but I'm just you know, you're made, your giant dude made of metal. Like, <laughs> yeah, and it just, it just happened in front of I him. Know. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's like, they're no, not, they're not like, you know, think on the feet kind of people. Uh, they're I like, agree. that's, that's what I was talking about. I'm like, 
Oh come on oh. now! Like you know, it's like it's like ah, uh, like no, but, don't do that. You know, if uh, there's one 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 particular panel that I was laughing out loud as well, and and then and then I was like, I was I was being the guy who's like commenting on on the dialogue, and that was like when they first um when they first broke through the 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 walls of of Moira's um Moira's uh research center, and it's like storm was firing, Banshee was just um. You know, uh, screaming and Colossus was like punching through. Even like Wolverine was like, trying to slash, and Nightcrawler was, was just behind, and he's like he's doing this thing, like trying to shield himself from all the wreckage. And then once they get through, Night Nightcrawler's like, "We we we did it." I was like, "No, you did not do it, Kurt. You were like behind everyone when they brought the whole thing down. What do you mean we did it? You did not do anything." I mean, poor Nightcrawler because of the whole clutch that he cannot uh, appear it into some place where he can't see. Yeah. It really makes him rather useless. I'll be honest. Like you know, because he would have been perfect to just like, hey, why don't you just go ahead and recon and then see mm-hmm. what's up? Uh, but yeah, it wasn't um, like yeah. He's as of right now, he's rather useless. <laughs> well, and it's funny because this it really feels like Claremont uses this issue purely just to reintroduce us to Magneto as a concept mm-hmm. because once. They all kind of regain their feet and we get this wonderful Cyclops and Wolverine shouting at each other. A great reminder that this really has existed from the very beginning here. Claremont yeah. is, just has them retreat, which is, there's nothing wrong with it as a story, but it's just, you know, you can imagine a modern version of this going on for issues and somebody gets captured and this and that. Mm-hmm. But here it's kind of like, hey, we had our one fight with Magneto. Let's get out of here. And it, and, it, and it feels like we could have just skipped over this issue and got them right back to New York. But Claremont right. wanted to put Magneto on the board as yet one more thing being mm-hmm. manipulated manipulated by Eric the Red and also but put in a also tease. Sh- yeah but it also shows that you know the Cyclops is uh, like you know leadership skill or like leader. brain power or like you know the things like he brain power like you know his intelligence like he just put two and two together that hey Professor X is also by himself and that's where we need to be like you know yeah. this is all just a ploy for that and I was like oh even after all the shouting he actually did come like you know it, that's also something that I remember because you know last time uh, Professor X like shouted at him because he said that I'm not gonna go and then I'm like oh okay then he just arrived and then it's like oh no we need to go back and then of course Wolverine versus is this the first time that the Wolverine versus Cyclops like you know it just no we've up. had it several like, times in the past yeah, oh, no, we had it, yeah. Like, no, in, before but the thing is like I feel like this time it for some reason it felt like more definitive like you know it's just like this is like questioning cyclops leadership but i feel like before it was just like a like cyclops decision like before it was like just insulting cyclops uh mm-hmm. but this time i feel like for the first like i don't know i mean i maybe just, i just forgot a lot of things but i was like this this felt like a for the first time over and it's like no you are making a bad decision I mean, you could just be really feeding off the sexual tension between the two of them, and that. Or oh, that too. Yes. <laughs> yes. Now, okay. No. You know what? You are absolutely right. But that I mean, I, I do think, joking aside, although that's hard to put aside, I do think that it's like the tight focus on their faces, like breathing in each other's face, with the black background of the paddle blown out to red. And, and, and like Club says, it is as far as we're concerned. And Wolverine says, says who? And it's like, just really a direct conversation. Whereas previously all the times it's almost like Wolverine's like walking away and muttering something over his shoulder. This time they're like really coming to blows. Me, yeah. Well, yeah. And I think it's also because Wolverine's smell skill, because maybe he's smelling gene on Cyclops. So that's where he's like <laughs> sexually attractive. So I this, hate this pairing, by the way. 
those threesomes, whatever. Like, well, we end we'll with a pretentious panel. Mutant mm-hmm. X, no admittance, but that something's wrong with the door. And Claremont, yeah. this is the beginning of Claremont's now plotting really far ahead because we're not going to get this, this, to this for a while. Uh, and to the point that you almost forget as a reader, but it's been yeah. teased here. So remember, Mutant X. What about the dragonfly lady, the Animan? Like, she escaped too. Did she appear anywhere else? Well, and the implication of that is almost that um, any mutant that gets defeated has been sent here. Like, is this the the mutant mm. Supermax prison? Because it's kind of weird. Like, the dragonfly lady was one of the Animan with Count Nefaria yeah. who got defeated just before Mora came over, supposedly as the housekeeper. But, like, somehow in the intermittent time, Professor Xavier, like, rang up Mora, was like, hey, I need to have some Animan for you to lock up. And Mora's like, okay. Yeah. And he's like, awesome, I'm having some bad dreams. And she's like, I'll stop by. Like, I, I, in my my head i'm just like trying to make it all fit together um so so the thing my question and i also noticed that i'm like oh, this is something that tyler and peter said about longing i'm gonna have to remember this like you know mm-hmm. I, I was noticing two things while i was reading this like how many times wolverine's taken off screen and what's the next <laughs> plot that is being introduced so i've been paying attention now you know what i'm becoming a prop true x-men fan here um <laughs> the other um thing i wanted to mention though is like so this even after they all leave, um, mm-hmm. Jamie is left behind on this more island. Yeah, they just leave him yeah. there. To do what? That's to... my question. Like, because there's yeah. no other prisoner. Well, other than the mutant eggs, I guess. Well, like... they, they were running away from Magneto too. <laughs> so they, so they just true. left Jamie there to face <laughs> Magneto alone. <laughs> Yes, and well, do they know his power at this point? Like that, fa- the yes. fact that he can multiply. Okay, yes. well, I guess like from that point of view, Moira is kind of smart. Like you know, she kept that you know the one citizen, which you know, hint hint, um, that he left that she is like left there as the prison guard. But they just left him there. But I guess they also and... leave Mora behind too, don't they? Oh yeah, that's. <laughs> yeah, now that I'm looking at this closer, I have a lot oh, of wait. questions. Wait, wait, wait. Did they? I mean, she's not with yeah. them at any Bronze. point. Bronze. I don't know. Who who knows? But look, there's this final scene, which we get um, Cockrum's wonderful creation of the Star Jammers for the first time. Mm-hmm. Corsair, Ode here. And also, we finally get a little bit more of Lalandra's face behind the helmet. So all of these plots are starting to come together. Just as Jean is having her mom and dad over to have dinner with Xavier and and Misty Knight, and Eric the Red is ready to pounce. So like everything that Claremont's been doing for the past eight issues, all ready to come to a head here at the end. And uh, I really, I really wish I didn't know who Crosshairs were. Because the reveal is so good. Yeah, uh, but I kind of know who they are. I'm uh, like, oh, yeah. Like, I'm like, oh, these people. So like, classic X-Men just makes a few revisions to this. There's a little bit mm-hmm. more, like, action for each of the X-Men during the boat yeah. attack where they're, like, individually responding to what's happening mm-hmm. with the boat. And Magneto just kind of briefly monologues and looks like at a picture of him and Xavier earlier in their life, which is the story that's later told in Uncanny X-Men 161. Yeah. But, of course, Claremont is writing the classic X-Men revisions after 161, so he's trying to seed in a hint for 161 earlier so that when people yeah. buy the 161 package, you'll be like, oh, I remember he hinted oh, at that. Yep. Yeah. So they're actually but, not very obtrusive in terms of additions. Right. I also want to show you I'm part of the cool kids club now because now I have the <laughs> omnibus. Like, you know, so my friend Gabriel Alisea, um, he sent me this as a gift 
so thank you so much for that. Uh, but then I also now know how you guys know the differences because <laughs> in this one, it actually lays it out. I yeah, was like, the, wow, the these guys are... Yeah, I'm like, wow, these guys are doing so much work. They're no. comparing side by side. No. Oh, please. <laughs> you guys were actually just like, you know, it actually says that. And that was, I mean, I was saying, I was looking at it. I'm like, whoa, this is actually very so thin. thin. Yeah. No, very thin for uh -huh. like all the backup oh, issues and all the okay, regular okay. issues. And then I'm like, then I looked up like, this issue is just only, this omnibus just only kind of has like, what's the difference? I'm like, ugh. <laughs> because now I like, you know, all I respect you guys less. <laughs> All of the regular issues that are reprinted by the first 44 issues of, of um, X-Men Classic, or Classic yeah. X-Men at the time, actually encompass the first two Uncanny X-Men omnibuses. Yeah. So uh, people were really speculating when they announced it. People were like, are they going to put oh, in the full issue? No. Like, because it would have been... Can I sell? Yeah, but no, yeah. it's it's all of the complete backup stories, and then it's the specific panels that have been specifically mm -hmm. added, and then there's a selection of panels that Claremont has edited, and that yeah. is what the... It's really... Look, if you love classic X-Men, and you hear how much we're loving these backup stories so far, although that could change at any time, it's a really cool buy, and it's not going to mm -hmm. be one that I think is going to be rushed to reprint once it's gone. Mm -hmm. So while it's still out there, if you're somebody who loves X-Men and you, and you like having physical things, buy it. And there's also trade paperbacks of them, and the trade paperbacks also do have all that extra stuff too so whether you're an omnibus person or whether you're a trade paperback person if you're really loving this and you're like i've always meant to check out those classic x-men issues like get them mm -hmm. this is now's the time so look we're and gonna I, oh, I one to, more thing and then we're gonna move the, on no i want to mention though that in the marvel unlimited the classic x-men run is actually done properly so it's mm -hmm. all the inserts and yeah it has the, the full issues full which i was shocked issue. yeah yeah so you can you can actually it's better to read it that way yeah, if you want to read the, the George Lucas remastered version of each of these issues rather than just reading with the the inserts, and this is not obvious, go to yeah. Marvel Unlimited and search Classic X-Men and start reading from Classic X-Men number one. So I just have one thing to add in this um, revision part. Um, well, it's more like a question for you guys. Like, you know, Wolverine like took a, a breath and went underwater. He gave part of the breath to Storm, right? That in itself is like, it's nothing. But his thought bubbles says that hope this is as much fun for you sweets as it is for me. And I'm like, eh, that makes it not so okay. What do you guys think? And that's revisionist Claremont like 10, 10 years later, who's yeah. like still writing Wolverine in this like awful rapey way at the beginning. Yeah, yeah just, um, no, right? Not a fan. No. I'm yeah. not a fan. Like, you know, and the thing is, I'm getting tired of, like, you know, Daddy Claremont making Wolverine this rape monster. Oh, he's going to change very yeah, soon. Ho yeah, hopefully. Hopefully. No, he's going to change gonna very, change. very soon. Because, because I'm actually at the point, I'm like, okay, guy, I get it. No, get no. It. <laughs> yeah. Move on. Well, but like, this is you know. why I say that X-Men is not great right away. Like, you've got to deal <laughs> with a lot. This is, people, you, every conversation about X-Men, people are like, just start with Claremont. I'm like, you, if you don't mm -hmm. love these characters at all, your patience will wear incredibly thin yeah. if you just start with the beginning. But let's move on to Uncanny X-Men 105. Five. So here's the thing about this issue. On one hand, a lot of things are happening because Claremont's finally getting to pull together a lot of these plots. We have mm -hmm. Eric the Red. We have Fire Lord for some reason and the X-Men. But the thing that I always feel when I get to this issue is like I feel weary, even though 
the Cockrum art is terrific here because it just feels like the same X-Men fight has been happening over and over again Mm -hmm. since pretty much issue 94. Like Claremont hasn't really figured out how to use them with each other yet. And so we just keep getting the sequences of them running one at a time up to a villain and kind of getting flicked away. And it's just, this is the issue every time I start reading this run where even though I truly think Cockrum's art is pretty gorgeous here that I just start really getting annoyed. I don't know. Is it just me? How, it's Freya, you, Tyler, you've done this before. You talk on it. Uh, no, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of getting to that point, you know, because I, I, so here's the thing. This is a, this is actually a more of a testament of how much I respect two of your opinion that I'm still continuing with this because I'm like, there's like a goodness coming somewhere around the corner that I haven't given up because if this was something that I was just reading, I'm like, okay, I, I had enough. Like it just, <laughs> like it just same things coming up again and again, and there's literally no respite. There's, there's no yeah. no downtime, which I guess, like you know, given how the comic book was, how when it was published, like is the individual issue, blah, 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 it makes sense. But the thing is, like, I'm just like, oh my god, stop being so stupid. <laughs> Like, you know, like stop being so stupid in terms of how you fight, in terms of how you face things. And yeah. I don't know. I mean, I don't, I, yeah. I mean, and also, I, 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 I'm questioning, like, what is Eric Durrett doing? Like, why is he always sending people against the X-Men and not being an active part of it, except for that first time when he has Havoc and Polaris with him? I'm like, why go through all the, you know, all the fake thing, Black Tom, Magneto? It, it, it doesn't make sense to me. Like, that, that was like, what is the plan? To me, I thought that it was more to do with the fact that he wanted, like, he knows that Lilandra is coming towards Professor X. He mm-hmm. wanted no one around Professor X. So it's easy for him to take out Professor X and take Lilandra because that's his ultimate goal, I guess. But the thing is, his plan failed in every step. <laughs> like, that's the, you know, because comic magic or whatever, his plan mm-hmm. failed every step of the way. And then also, like, you know, but I would say, though, I did, like, you know, as I was reading this, I'm like, oh, I know this character. I felt very happy about it, Far Lord, because I know him from the... Um, Annihilation. Hot- yeah, annihilation and all of that. I'm like, haha. I, I mean, you know, I knew that character, so I was very happy about that. But then he's also very dumb, so I didn't care for that. <laughs> so, easily so easily manipulated. Eric yeah. Red is like, they went that way, and Fire Lord is like, I'll, I'll take care of it for you. Don't worry, yeah. young, young yeah. boy. Yeah, and then, and the thing is, like, Galactus is not very good at getting his champions, like you know, right? Because uh, Silver Surfer is also kind of dumb. So even that loves Silver Surfer. Well, but, he needs know. someone dumb to take to 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 obey him. That's true. I'm sorry, Harold's Like you know, it's like and I'm like, ah, whatever. But yeah. But I think the key thing here is that Fire Lord, Fire Fire Lord, took out the X Men in less than a minute to show how powerful he is. Yeah. Well, and that's part of Claire. If you read some of what Claremont talks about with establishing Genus Phoenix, he really wanted an X Men character that he he describes it as a Thor level character. He really wanted somebody that he felt like from the X Men team could go and and do the same things Thor could do. And Thor is seen as being on the level of these kind of herald level characters. So this is Claremont kind of doing his own little battle boards thing where he's mm-hmm. like, I'm going to show 
you know, the X-Men beating all these individual X-Men villains. Now I'm going to show Fire Lord beating all the X-Men. Now I'm going to show Phoenix beating Fire Lord. And thus we will have established the hierarchy that Phoenix yep. is actually in a totally other league, Different league. from all of yep. the other X-Men. But this also exactly. comes into Claremont. Like, so now he's bring, brought his full-on space thing, right? We haven't really known yeah. what the, all these visions are about. They've been the subplot that we've been saying maybe is not that interesting. But it finally comes to a head here. And I want to point out a couple of things is that first, Claremont and Cochrane both, they're borrowing heavily from other sci-fi tropes of the day. I mean, they this, group, this bridge looks like the classic Star Trek bridge, even mm-hmm. with the door at the back. They talk about the Prime Directive. I mean, the Shi'ar have their wonderful feather hair, but this is heavily, heavily influenced by very Star Trekian um, sorts of things, even if the bug ships are much more of an individual uh, Cockrum thing. Of also, his science own. officer. Science officer. Mm. That's yeah, which is not to say that any from... of those things are like specific only to Star Trek, but it just it just really feels like a big Star Trek influence to me. So, definitely. Yeah. And also the red shirt. And... They also have red <laughs> <laughs> but then the, the other thing too is that Claremont again because he's establishing this hierarchy right so yeah. now we're now we're up to the gene level which we don't know about all the Phoenix stuff yet but now he's addressing the hierarchy from the top and we should the Shi'ar being like Earth is a nothing planet we're conquerors and then somebody's like oh but Galactus has been here and they're like no Galactus has never yeah. left a planet behind and and so Claremont then establishes Earth has repelled Galactus four times four times so <laughs> it's so just as though just like he's built Gene up from the bottom of the ranks he's now kind of telling us how tough the Shi'ar are, that they are pretty tough, but not so tough that they're not impressed by a planet that can repel Galactus. So there's just a lot of hierarchy doing here, which kind of makes the assumption that people are reading other Marvel comic books, right? Like all Mm -hmm. of these assumptions kind of like if you're just an x-men reader you don't know who fire lord is galactus has never really featured in x-men until this point so a lot of these assumptions have to do with assuming that you read other marvel comic books um so one thing i do want to mention though over here and this is something that is like one of my pet peeve i really don't like it when um alien races look down on earth i hate that why not earth is terrible I, I know it is, but hey, I'm one of the idiots that live on the Earth. But So I'm Team Earth. But the thing yeah. is, like, every single comic book writer who's writing about galaxy, like in a cosmic level, always refer to Earth as some dumpster or as some mud, like, you know. And then all these mud people ball. come and then they'll be like, oh my God, it's actually not as bad. I hate that trope. I hate it. Absolutely <laughs> hate it. I can't stand it. Like you know, every like just check from now on. Every single cosmic book will do it. It doesn't matter whether it's our Marvel, Im- DC, Image, Dark Horse. It doesn't matter who's doing it. It's always that. Hate it. Well, isn't that though anyway. the nature of yeah. being able to tell an alien story in regards to Earth, where it's like you can't make Earth out to be too advanced because we live here, and and as yeah. readers, it doesn't scan to us to make us the more advanced society. So you almost need to bring in another society to turn their nose up at us, so we can like sympathize with Earth and be like, no, we're actually better. Like I I get how tiresome it is, and I agree that it's tiresome, and I kind of like better which is much more of a hickman approach where he has other people and be like earth is to be feared rather than like earth is a backwater country but it um but i don't know is is there any other way to do good alien stuff i don't know i'm yeah. not a writer <laughs> i mean don't, don't that... ask me i mean that's what i'm saying do better that's what i'm saying yeah, everyone Marvel has Girl. done it yeah everyone has done it we have all seen it 
So do something different. That's what I'm talking about. Because the thing is, like, it's like that every single cosmic book you're gonna pick up, this has always been one of the tropes. And I am just saying, do better. Like, that's that's my thing. Like, you know, it's just like this trope has been played again and again. So try to do something different. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you're gonna be doing it because I'm not a writer. You are. <laughs> Like, I mean, I mean, by you, I mean, like, the writers are. Yeah, like, all of like, the writers listening yeah. to this. Yeah, all, yeah, exactly. Like, it's like, not my problem. <laughs> you know? I mean, if I had an idea, I would have written it, right? So, I don't. So, I'm, I'm inviting you to change my, like, you know, tickle my imagination. And listeners, if you know of a good sci-fi comic where Earth encounters aliens and we're not treated like the backwater planet, recommend it to us in the comments on YouTube or via Twitter or whatever way you'd like to get in touch. Mm -hmm. And we might actually read that comic to try to satiate Freya's hunger for a good um, treating (laughs) Earth differently comic. So feel free to tune us into your favorite one. But um, before we move on from this scene, I have like um, just something to think about. There's this particular line where you know one of the one of the lady with that hair thing was saying that oh this is a class M world, Captain Sentient Homite lifeforms level four point seven on the Varakis skill, right? And I mean it really doesn't mean anything, but I wonder if. Hickman was reading through this and his mind immediately went to the types of society, planetary, you know, the data page in Hotspots, where he's like, oh, this is unit one, unit 10, unit 10,000. And then, and then he started tying in like various um, alien society into this whole grand scheme, like just from this single line. <laughs> I was just wondering when, if that's the when, case for him. <laughs> when I marry him, I'll ask him that question. <laughs> Like, you know, right on my wedding, like during the wedding dance, I'll ask him that wedding. question. You'll <laughs> lean over him and you'll say, and he's going to, he'll be like, I love you so much. And then you'll say, an uncanny X-Men 105. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? Maybe that will get him, you know, excited. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Speaking of which, I have a, I have a great segue from that. So we mm-hmm. get the first real moment that Claremont writes for Jean here. Um, yeah. which over time get a little bit more cringy than this. The power is ecstasy moment. It's Jean has so much power coursing through her that she's in <laughs> ecstasy. And this is going to come up a lot. lot. Not only for Jean, but for all of his women. Storm. Yeah. But Storm. It's, but very, it's, yeah. Very, it's one of those Claremontisms. Um, the, yeah. the, the, the unlimited Galadriel-like power coursing through your veins, causing you to have a full body orgasm. Mm-hmm. This is one of Claremont's favorite tropes. And Claremont yeah. and Cockerham also appear in this comics. In two panels. Oh, really? Where? Oh, are those the hippies? No, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, hippies. when... <laughs> when, <laughs> when, when they were shooting Fire Lord, like, you know, in, into the Washington Square Park... Uh-huh. And he was hitting that uh, the the arc uh, replica. Yee. Yeah, those two guys sitting there and say, and you know, like Claremont was trying to explain to Cockrum what what's gonna what's happening in this scene, and Cockrum is drawing it. And then it is actually Dave. His name is Dave. Yeah. Oh my god! And then That's and then the next pa- next page, the first panel, they were all running away, and he's and he called him Chris. So <laughs> he's oh like, Chris, do us all a favor, shut up and run. <laughs> Okay, that made the issue. Chris Claremont, uh, they, they, they loved doing those little... That was much more yeah. of like a Silver and Broad Jage thing where they would have a gag yeah. where they were slipping themselves into it. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, because I was actually thinking that about why these two characters has names, you okay, know. But now so, I'm like, okay, I'm dumb. So the the, so the dumb. trick is the trick is whenever background people have names, you usually have Marvel to fix. Yeah, yeah, it's usually someone or like that some other know. comic characters. Like. Yeah, and they they actually do it now a lot more. But you know now I think okay that makes so much sense. But the thing is going back to the power is ecstasy. I mean you know Clara got this right. We women we're all about power and ecstasy. You know that's <laughs> it's all all that. Like you know it's 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 okay. Like, But I did actually notice that because I was actually thinking about a previous conversation Peter and I had like way back when it's like Uh like Claremont like you know it's like a sexual awakening in Gene and Phoenix and I'm like oh no oh my so I was actually looking for that over here I'm like is this the beginning? It is it's very much it is. It well, is. And, and she manifests the full kind of phoenix raptor here and it's really funny the, it, it, the issue ends so abruptly like eric the red has the laundry he goes through this makeshift portal nightcrawler just because he why would he think any different tries to jump through and the portal shuts down and gene's like oh i can handle that now and just charges up and through the portal the x-men go while they're just leaving professor x like lying on the ground yeah. and they're all like bye xavier you know and they all go through and then xavier has is has to face off against fire lord with misty knight i'm like oh that's gonna go uh, but it, yeah. but it kind of just feels like the end of this issue. Things just happen really quickly because they're like, get it, get it done, get it shipped, get it, get them off screen, set up the cliffhanger. Because maybe they knew they were going to do a fill in in the next issue. It almost yeah. felt like this could have bled into the next issue, and then it would have had more room. But no, we got it. We got to close no, it out. We got to get, get it done. Yeah. yeah. But and then the nasty, on. nasty Professor X came came on again. You know, uh, it's like, it's like, are you blind, Gene? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you have plenty like, of time now. I was like, in, what the hell? Like, you know, it's like an equal opportunity, like, you know, uh, abuser. Uh, but the thing is, like, it's also like, uh, I, so I honestly thought that I actually dreamt it because I'm like, no, that did not happen. Then I had to reread a bunch of these issues to just to figure out that it did happen. Um, a Cyclops calls Gene the weakest X-Men. Like, mm-hmm. I'm like... This is coming from a guy they, who is a human laser pointer, okay? That's right, just like, really... Let's just really yeah, be clear I'll, here. Yeah, I even like, pre Phoenix upgrade, Gene is way more powerful than Cyclops. Yeah, I was, I was listening. I was, I reading that. I'm like, bitch, please. You can't even control your beam. Like you're like, oh but my god, not, I need a glass. Like, no, you but know. it's not. It's, it's not a laser, right? It's, I know. I mean, I'm just, like, I'm just mocking him because I don't. Like I know Cyclops. what you mean. And no, then, but, then, but he's like, he he has this ability. Well. Does he have this ability in the Silver Age? Because I have not read a lot of those. That he he has this geometric ability. I think that's like over time he he learns to bounce his beams mm. around because he's a tactical genius, and he yeah. teleports force from the punch dimension through his eyes. But um, but yeah, I... like you know he actually he actually thinks that I'm like, and then I thought I'm like, okay, Gene is weaker than Beast. What's Beast? Like, or weaker I mean, than Nightcrawler. I mean, I just it just like, goes I mean, to show how little respect Jean has as a character at this like, point. And, and no, after after reading that, I'm like, you know what, Jean girl, go with Wolverine. Go. What? Go. Girl, you have my blessing. You're gonna be like, converted yet. Yeah, you're gonna understand all of the psychoses of all of the X Men fans. Why do you think why do you think why do you think Beast is weaker is the weakers? Like, what about Angel? Like, he can only fly. I mean, he has only has wings and fly. He has hollow bones. It's, well, I that's mean, true. That's, that's what I'm saying. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I was just think, thinking about all the X-Men that he may have seen by now. You know, he just yeah. have seen by now. And I'm like, weakest? Like, I mean, 
I would understand if you said that, okay, she's one of the weaker ones. Okay, maybe her power is still kind of... Okay, I get that. Weakest. Like, well, the you ESD to... really got to be. And then I'm like, you know what, girl? Go with that stinky Canadian. Well, leave like, this, leave far this be it for me to defend Cyclops. But Jean <laughs> was written to this point such that her telekinesis really was not that heavy duty, yeah. nor was her psychic powers. I mean, she does have a moment, I think, in this issue where she's like, I'm flying. <laughs> like, she's, she almost can't believe it, which kind of, but then that also kind of gives lie to, like, her whole plan with the space shuttle in 100, because it's like, if her powers are that weak, was she really yeah. sure? So Claremont's kind of, like, playing it both ways when it suits him right now. Like, she's the weakest X-Men when it's good for Cyclops to take a jab at her. But, like, even pre-Phoenix, he wasn't really writing her as weakly as mm-hmm. they would uh, point her out to be. So, look, in classic X-Men, there's very few revisions that really are significant here. It just yeah. gives a little bit more connective issue at the be- tissue at the beginning of the issue, which actually yeah. I think really, really works. It just gives, like, a little it bit of a really prologue. Because well. the issue here just opens up, like, right with the X-Men bumping into Fire or, or Thread. And, yeah. and, and you kind of almost wonder, like, how did we get from that whole Magneto battle into here? And Claremont and the classic X-Men does that. And then it just gives us a little bit more connective issue in the Fire Lord fight. Um, it, I said connective issue again, connective tissue. Uh, and so I actually think this is one of the more unobtrusive ones because it kind of just makes the issue roll a little bit better. Yeah, it does. And I'm actually surprised that the additional art was done by Bob Layton. Yeah, and I think he actually matches better than some of mm-hmm. the art the art has matched. Some of it has been really jarring. It's like, okay, I can tell we're in the 80s now compared to yeah. Cochran, but Layton's art, yeah. I think, looks really nice here. So look, it does. we have yeah. two classic X-Men issues to get through here, and they are, they're intense. This classic X-Men number 12 um, mm. backup, it's, I think it's one of the best Magneto stories of all time, and it's a definitive mm-hmm. Magneto story. Oh, oh, Faria's got some thoughts. Ooh. Yeah, you haven't read the Great Park's Magneto Testament. Well, I have, but that that only exists because this exists. Because of this. Yeah. yeah that's so, true. so Cla- I'll let me just summarize here. Was, Magneto, oh. Magneto post baby, and he's also appeared in the um, Captain America Annual number four between the end of one oh one oh four and here. He's yeah, please in, don't read that one. Yeah, don't. It's read really that. bad. It's not, it's not it was good. really bad. It's not. Okay. Good. But there's a yeah. reason it's not in our on our uh, X Men yeah. read here, and he's just, he's taken an apartment in Paris and he's kind of having bad dreams. But they're his like bad dreams for the first time because it's like first he's now just an adult again and he's like regaining the full impact of his memories and he remembers everything from him leaving the concentration camp with his first wife Magda through them having their first child and through the original full manifestation of his mutant power, although it will be retconned later to have manifested a few times in his earlier life Mm -hmm. as a hint of a power. But this is ostensibly the first time that he's really using it with intent. It's, I mean, it's dark. It's, um, it's quite tragic and it really makes me feel some stuff, but let's have Freya's comments here because she knows the Greg Pak Magneto Testament, which this wraps kind of around and, and continues past. Right, so um, Greg Park's Magneto Testament, I don't <clears throat> recommend it to people because it's really a difficult read um, because it is like, you know, if you are interested in World War II fiction, as I am, go ahead and read it, but it is very difficult um, and especially given that it's Marvel, like it just kind of doesn't work. Like, I mean, it doesn't work in the sense like you are not, it's so dark, <laughs> like compared to everything else you read in Marvel. Um, so the thing is like, I mean, I... I think like it, this kind of having this backstory of Magneto kind of explains his actions so much better. 
Mm-hmm. The fact that he already gone through a concentration camp, he already have been othered once, he have already had to pay the price for being, um, like, you know, paying the price for who he is, that it is not in his control, that why he asked for, mut- like, uh, champions mutant supremacy. Or, like, you know, like, keeps on saying, which I also agree with, is like, human sucks, let them die, we should be <laughs> the one taking over. Um, but does it also kind of explains why he is, like, I mean, his violent tendency, I guess, a little bit. But the thing is, like, um, it kind of contextualizes a lot of yes, these things. I agree. Um, also, like, do I did I like the fact that you know a girl had to die to talk to um, you know motivate a male character? No, I didn't. I didn't care for that. But you know. I think it's a little different because it's his child. Like, not that I'm, like, trying to excuse the women in refrigerators aspect of it, but it could have been a little boy. I think it's I think it's the play of him as a parent and that he has this custodial guilt that he wasn't able to do everything he was able to do as a parent that we actually don't get a whole lot in comics because they don't tend to want to make the characters old enough to have their original motivation be a, a motivation about a child. So often it's a lover or a family member, like a sister or a father or something. And it really always stands out to me. And it always like shocks me, even though I remember he added a child before ostensibly yeah. Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver and, and Polaris. It, every time I read it, it kind of shocks me. And the violence of it shocks me, right? That he's like so close to saving her. And every time, even when I read it earlier today, just to review for notes, I was like, well, he's going to save her, right? And I was like, oh gosh, he doesn't. doesn't. And like, it always yeah. really gets me when he doesn't save her. He didn't right. get and a he, chance to save her. Yeah. yeah he, right, it's not that he doesn't try. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but at the same time, his um, powers were didn't manifest that he couldn't just swipe at people and then get it. Like, I mean, at this now, Magneto would not have any problem with that. But the thing is, at the same time, though, I felt like his uh, reaction to it was a bit strange. Like, you know, it just felt like, yeah, it happened, but Magda, let's just, you know, bury our child and then. <laughs> go off like it, i don't know it just felt like he's he have been through this so many times that he is like just so cold i don't know about that well i i do often because th- i've definitely thought about the story a lot in the past i often reflect that that's actually the thing that claremont's trying to do here he's he's trying to show us that every magneto situation is the same magneto situation you know that he's mm. like always replaying having lost people in the concentration camp and having no power, always replaying losing his daughter and not having power, and then also always replaying his wife kind of spurning him just because he tried to do something that in his view was right. Mm-hmm. And that like every part of Magneto's classic buildup all the way into the end of Claremont's run is just him reliving this and either making a worse decision or making a better decision. And that's like every Magneto opinion, you know, uh, every Magneto appearance is him doing this over again and doing something worse or doing something better. And he sees the X-Men as like the people that are restraining him from saving the people he should be able to save, right? Even though the X-Men are mutants like him, like he still just looks at the X-Men as people who are holding him back from using his power to create freedom from oppression. And so he, to him, the X-Men are just, you know, just as minor and just should be flicked away, just like all the people that he kills here who are trying to hold him back from saving his daughter. I mean, I think the other thing about um, that, I, I mean, I feel like there's a reason why it is a daughter and not a son here because of what happens in later on in Uncanny X-Men 150, mm. which 
which was act- which was actually written before this right. backup story was written. So, so I think there is a connective tissue there where um, Claremont is trying to make a little bit of you know uh, reference back and forth between the two stories, and um, the other part of, about him moving on. I think you are kind of right. He's a little bit cold here. He's like, yeah, they killed my daughter. I killed them as a revenge. Let's move on. Right. Because of his, I think this at this point in time, it is still a very recent thing from the concentration camp. So he is still a little bit, you know, he's still cold. He's still, he's still, I mean, and I think for a very long time, he will be cold. And that right. might be the reason why he, he, he went, he was this, you know, uh, mustache touring evil maniac, uh, you know, and, and 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 slowly, when Claremont got got a hold of him, he was he's being recast with someone with someone as someone with a more believable motivation, and then set it set him up as a um, uh, sort of like you know two sides of the same coin as 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 Claremont would would mm. often use that analogy. Well, and the issue ends on a really interesting beat where he you know, is finally awoken from the sleep and he realizes maybe the reason he's been having this memory as a dream is there is a building on fire. There's a woman with her child in this building and Magneto has this moment of they're only humans and he's like going to go back to sleep and then we cut away and it really feels like he did let them die, but he yeah. goes and saves them and he and he's like, just don't let it be forgotten that you were saved by a mutant. And I think that this is also Claremont trying to build some connective tissue because it is a little jarring when Magneto suddenly kind of becomes a good guy after Secret Wars. Like you have to really stretch your your credulity to make it all connect. And so I think this is the way of Claremont kind of drawing a through line from Uncanny X-Men 150 through Secret Wars to Uncanny X-Men 200 and just try to make it all make a little bit more sense because, of course, yeah. this came out after all of those issues. Sorry, Freya, that you, you're you not there yet. Uncanny X-Men 150, yeah. in my mind, is one of the, the classics of all time of X-Men. So, you know, and, and just another 25 short episodes will be there. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll get there. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, the, the thing is that I really kind of liked that, like how he's saying that it's not necessarily you were saved by a mutant, you were saved by Eric, like, you know, Magneto yeah. the mutant, that like you were saved by Magneto the terrorist, and then, you know, kind of painting himself in a very... I'm like, that's very effective as, like, a propaganda machine. I, I approve, sir. Kind of I mean, you know, ties all I, the way I, to the I, way his... he behaves at the beginning of House of X, right? Like that he's yeah, like, I mean, I'm I, the pa- it's me. I have the power yeah, here. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, you know, I'll be I'll be his second in command in the Brotherhood, so I'm just setting him setting myself up. Like, you know, just making sure that I understand my boss, so everything is good. And, I mean and the other thing is how great is John Bolton here because oh, he so he changed his style a little bit just to make it a little bit darker, just to make it a little bit more oppressive in terms of like the art. And you know, I mean, the lines are a little bit thicker, and everything just seems so dark. And and you know, and I actually went back to the front and said, "Hey, wait, did they change an artist that looks like John Bolton, but it's not really him?" But no, I thought maybe him. it was think of its inking or something like that because it has yeah. that kind of like really inky, rough. Ca- aspect to it and i but no it's bolton yeah it is and then um the other thing also is that he he played the passage of time with that clock and his sleeping cock and his sleeping like in the in the first part of of this story 
just to sort of like, oh, you know, he's, he's having a dream and it's a bad dream. And then it's like, it's a peaceful time and his face is like really peaceful when he's sleeping. So I thought that was pretty great. Too. And and also one last note before we move on to the next one. For those of you who are around in the 90s collecting comics, my first exposure to this was not actually in a classic X-Men issue is because it was reprinted in Magneto issue zero, which was a special collector issue. I forget Uh. how you could get it. Like, I think you needed to like already be a subscriber at your comic book store or something, but I just remember it was really special and I have a copy and it's really cool. And it's made up of some classic um, Magneto kind of filler stories to explain his origins because I think it came out around the time September 1993 right before Fatal Attractions and it has that same Mm. Fatal Attractions lettering where all the fonts different and everything's all messed up but anyway I know the story originally as a story from Magneto issue zero rather than from classic X-Men but now for something completely different Misty Knight punches a shark in the face let's talk about (laughs) very briefly classic X-Men number 13 this does not quite fit here either although it kind of works if you read it as coming right before this in actuality Mm. it comes after Uncanny X-Men 110, so we're getting the story a little bit earlier, but there's nothing in it that really spoils anything, so there's no reason you can't read it right now. And it's, you know, Misty, Storm, and then apparently somewhere Colleen Wing and Iron Fist are all at the beach hanging out, um, and they've been hanging out all, uh, all day. And uh, and now Misty was going for a night swim and she's igno- exhausted. Jean Grey, um, you know, detects that there's a family in trouble. It turns out to be a family of, spoilers, dolphins. And uh, and Misty and Jean save the dolphins from a shark. Freya, how much did you love this story? Uh, it's okay. I mean, you know, it was fine, like, as, like, a, a you know, beach thing. But a one, Jean continues to just, my, like, you know, just drop into people's mind whenever she feels like it. It's still ongoing saga of Jean and Professor X just, you know, no privacy. Like, you know, just innocent people's brain. Yeah. Um, and, and then the thing is, though, I mean, I kind of agree with Misty that, you know, she didn't tell that it was like a family of dolphins and then just put Misty into a situation that she may be not wanting to be. Um, so I was like, hey, man, like, you know, that wasn't cool. But I thought like overall the story was pretty good. But I also loved, loved, loved one panel of Jaws. Um, like, you know, it was like the Jaws poster that yeah. was like in one panel. That was uh, pretty nifty. It's almost more of a Misty story than a Jean story, really. Like, Jean does her whole, um, I've got psychic oneness with the Phoenix, yada, yada, yada. But it's actually kind of just a really fun little sassy Misty Knight solo story. Yeah, and you know, it's like Misty Knight putting white girls in their place. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Tyler, anything you would like to add about this? No, um, because I actually did not read this issue for this podcast. I'm sorry. <gasps> to be fair, yeah. in the notes, it said that we might instead use it after 110. So I sometimes know. we'll have optional issues that, <laughs> that even I might not read. And, and the point yeah. is to kind of just guide you through. And again, if you want to read everything all in order, you need to go to crushingcrisis.com, which is my website. It has the whole Crushing Comics guides. Crushing Comics didn't start out as a podcast. It started out with as hundreds of pages worth of comic book guides and uh, there's a complete X-Men reading order that places all of this stuff in explicit order and that's what we're going from not anybody else's published guide we're going from the the me Peter version of the guide speaking of which 
get ready for next issue issue episode because it's going to be a little different. Um, The -hmm. next issue of Uncanny X-Men 106 is a fill-in issue. We're going to still read it because we're reading all of Uncanny X-Men in order. But since it's a fill-in issue anyway, and since Claremont has Bill Mantlo co-writing with him, we're also going to read two other Claremont issues of around the same time where he's doing some other X stuff that will pay off later in X-Men. So we're going to read Iron Fist 14 where he is with Byrne and he creates Sabretooth. We're also going to read Miss Marvel 9 and 10. Did you know that Claremont wrote that? And and he, it is where he introduces Deathbird, which is a perfect opportunity to meet Deathbird since she is, spoiler alert, Lalandra's sister. So please tune in <gasps> next. No! <laughs> you really got me for a second that I messed up, that I totally messed it up for you. So please come back next time for this. And it's an experiment to see if it's worth talking about some of these more sideline things. We don't know yet. We haven't recorded in my talk. So come and tell us if it does, because why Freya, why do we do this together? Because X-Men reads better when it's read together. That's right. Even Mm -hmm. weird semi-related X-Men tie-ins. So that's right. (laughs) All three of us here crushing comics for our, epic x-men read it's been so wonderful to have you please be well don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next time for another wonderful dive into the deep history of claremont's x-men bye